Hello and welcome to episode 123 of College Football Throwdown. I'm your co-host Alex Schmitz and today I'm joined as always by my dad Peter Schmitz. Hello Husker fans and college football fans. Hello everybody. Uh, This is a father-son duo here to talk about college football by college football fans for college football fans. Uh, But before we dive into all that discussion, uh, we're going to stick to our tradition and crack open a cold beverage. All right. Uh, Today I've got a Stellar Artois here. Ooh, I like that. All right. What about you? I have the traditional fine Pilsner beer Miller Lite. Preparing to purge my uh, my refrigerator a little bit. Uh, preparing for departure to a uh, uh, out of town uh, event for a few days, so didn't want to have a bunch of stuff in the fridge. So by golly, I'm going to clean it out tonight. All right, glad we could help with that. <laughs> All right, here we go. All right, here we go. Now I'm drinking out of a bottle, and are you? Because usually a Stella is is uh, a, a bottle is that no it's in a can accurate? You're, you're you're in a you're drinking out of a can see now we're, we're i'm actually drinking out of bottles because you know there's a there's a can shortage right so mm-hmm. well there you go I, I i generally prefer it out of a bottle myself if i had to choose i i, I generally do too or i'm more inclined to pour uh, a can into a glass if i'm drinking out of a can mm. Say I never do that myself, but <laughs> uh, different strokes Cheers. for different folks. That's right. All right. Um, so to dive into the Nebraska side of things first, um, the biggest piece of news that's happened since we last recorded uh, is we were talking about some of the coaching changes, of course, at the time. And the one kind of outstanding position that was still open was our running backs coach. And even at the time, I think there were pretty heavy rumors about who that was going to be. And it got announced a few days later, and turns out it was Brian Applewhite from uh, TCU, who will now be our running backs coach. Yes, and uh, you know, um, he has already had a positive impact on the team in terms of both uh, what he's brought to the table uh, from a recruiting perspective, and we'll get into that a little bit more detail here shortly, but uh, but I, I get a sense that... Uh, he probably has helped, uh, you know, coalesce the the running back room that he's going to be responsible for, and has gotten people excited in this off season to really gear up and uh, focus on getting better. Right, which is exactly what you want out of a newly hired coach for sure. Yes. Um, so yeah, I haven't looked extensively into his resume. I will admit, um, but it seemed like you know the reaction to his announcement was you know positive. Not once again, not like a crazy home run get for Scott, you know, but a solid uh, choice that, like you say, has already paid off some dividends in recruiting and other things. Right. And, and, uh, and I think, uh, I, I don't know that I expected or, or felt from his resume that he was going to be this spectacular recruiter and he may not be, I, I mean, that's to, to, to be determined, but, but I think the thing that you can look at and say, okay, TCU is a program that, uh, you know, with the, the, the coach that, that he coached under, who was there for many years, TCU has been a very successful running football team, very successful offense for many, many years. And so the fact that Brian was exposed to and part of that 
is, is a big deal because that's what we need. We needed somebody with the expertise to get that done. Very true. Very true. So now, um, Frost refiguring of his coaching staff is complete, you know, barring any kind of unexpected departures from here on out. It seems like this is the staff that we'll have for the 2022 season. Um, so what is your overall evaluation of how things have shaken out there? Well, again, I think you have to take it from the perspective with a little context. You know, you, you've got a coach in Scott Frost who's who's clearly on the hot seat, who's who's got to turn it around this year. So it's it's you know uh, it's a do or die situation, right? And usually, coaches of high caliber are probably going to avoid that type of a situation, right? Uh, but ironically, I feel like Scott uh, overachieved based on that set of uh, circumstances, right? He was able to bring in a, an experienced offensive coordinator who, you know, he has enough reputation of his own that he's not going to be intimidated by, you know, Scott's presence, who obviously Scott's been heavily involved as the offensive coordinator up until now. But this guy ha- comes with enough credibility that, that I think he's going to be able to hold strong and keep keep Scott uh, uh, at an arm's length away, so to speak, so that he can execute his plan, um, which is great. Um, and and I think he chose Nebraska because, in, in part because if this thing goes south, I don't think it hurts him, right? Uh, and I think the same could be said for Mickey Joseph, a wide receiver coach from LSU who came in with lots of ballyhoo because he's a past Nebraska Cornhusker. He played for us and a uh, very dynamic guy very much known as a great recruiter, but also did some great things uh, uh, with his wide receivers, uh, you know, has uh, a pretty impressive resume as a coach, uh, including, interestingly enough, I don't know if you saw the picture, but uh, our our special teams coach, he's the guy who recruited Joe Burrow to LSU. And, uh, uh, and then uh, Mickey Joseph, our new wide receivers coach, was the guy who recruited... Uh, Lamar Chase, the great wide receiver for the Bengals. Okay, so the two two guys that are going to be playing in the Super Bowl, who turned around the Bengals franchise, both from LSU, were recruited by two coaches that are now part of the Nebraska program. Mm-hmm. Right, and that's not to mention that we know that Scott had his chance at uh, Joe Burrow back in the day, uh, and uh, didn't didn't go for him. Went for Adrian instead. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, uh, again, I've, I've covered that a little bit. I, I don't view that as some horrific error on Scott's part. I totally understand why Scott would have done what he did. Um, and, and I think that's a lot of 2020 hindsight that people are using with regard to that. So uh, I, I'll go over that again, uh, maybe on a, um, midsummer podcast when we got less to talk about, but, but, uh, bottom line is, you know, with, uh, 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 Bush coming in as a, as the special teams coordinator, finally making the commitment to a, a, a full-time special teams guy. Riala, uh, again, a great uh, name with some Nebraska connection. Uh, his brother was a multiple-time All-American and uh, Outland Award winner here at Nebraska. Uh, or uh, I, I think Outland, uh, maybe Remington Award winner too. Uh, Dominic, his brother, uh, has come in as our offensive line coach. And he had his own successful career both at the University of Wisconsin and in the NFL. So a younger coach, pretty dynamic. And uh, I've uh, read some things uh, with some people I respect uh, 
on bulletin boards and stuff that I follow uh, of past offensive linemen, guys that I, you know, that, that understand what it was like back when we were the pipeline. And they are very excited about Rayala's coaching philosophy and techniques. Uh, they think it's back to old school and that we will see they're expecting really good things from the offensive line because of, uh, uh, of the new coach Rayala. Yeah, I would say my evaluation is similar to yours. Um, the special teams coordinator was the one kind of thing I was adamant on that Scott needed to do, and he found the way to do it by promoting Bill Bush and all that. Um, so that made me very happy. Um, and it seems like all the guys he's brought in, you know, may not be like the big headline names, but they're all good fundamental coaches. And that's what we've kept talking about in this podcast for years at this point is that you know, all, all these Scott Frost teams have clearly had talent. We've shown it in spurts, but then we mess up the basics over and over again, you know. And so if we get a staff that can really drill that into our guys, like you say, maybe a little more old fashioned mentality with that, um, then that may be all we need to kind of turn it around. Uh, so transitioning over to the national side of things, um, we've been following the Caleb Williams saga, as it as we might as well dub it, um, for a couple podcasts now. And um, I, I believe on the last podcast, we talked about the most likely scenarios, which was either that he comes back to Oklahoma and is able to get a, you know, some sort of uh, higher NIL deal, right, kind of out of them, you know, to show his value or he would follow Lincoln Riley to USC. And after a lot of rumors that he was going to other teams, turns out he's going to USC with Lincoln Riley. So uh, not too surprising to me. Um, it's just, it's kind of funny how long it all <laughs> went, went along. Well, and, and, and I think the significance for it is that um, uh, what he did is something that now is fully legal and, and, and may very well evolve into normal operating procedure for premier players in college football. You got, you're a premier player, you know you're really good, and you still have that ability to, to have that transfer happen. Then you go out in the portal and you do the dance, much like a coach, um, you know, like uh, Jim Harbaugh did uh, this year. He had a successful season after some dis a disappointing year. So now he's kind of as high uh, on his ranking of perception as he's been in the, all the years that he was at Michigan. And what did he do? He went out and shopped himself and interviewed for four different NFL head coaching jobs, supposedly had the opportunity to take some, if he had been able to negotiate a price and everything that was acceptable, he chose to turn down the ones that were offered to him. And I think a few of them were never offered to him, but the bottom line is, in dancing with all those different folks, he motivated the University of Michigan to to give him a new contract. And I think Caleb Williams, you know, that has played out many, many times for coaches. Now that's going to start to play out for for athletes. And 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 bottom line is that I believe Caleb Williams and his family. Now here's an interesting rumor. I have no way to prove this, but it's it's it, it actually makes sense. And I believe if it didn't actually happen this time, it's going to happen fairly soon in the future. And that is that when he was discussing NIL opportunities with Oklahoma, he didn't want just an NIL that was going to give him, you know, uh, uh, compensation related to 
his NIL in the form of dollars. He was looking for ownership interest in uh, in a uh, truck stop, uh, huh. one of the big one of the big uh, boosters for the University of Oklahoma is the guy who founded and is one is the main owner of Pilot Truck Stops. You've seen the big Pilot signs that you drive the interstates, right? Right. Um, um, and he wanted to get a Pilot Truck Stop uh, franchise uh, for his family. So that he would have something that would, you know, potentially have value and sustain way beyond just his years of playing football at Oklahoma. Mm. Interesting. So supposedly that was being discussed or was on the table or whatever. Now, it, it, I, I'm guessing it ended up not happening, but the idea of getting that form of NIL compensation makes a lot of sense, you know, and isn't really all that different than say the example I would use for Nebraska is Lexi's son. She was geared up and ready to go, had, had a, a relationship already established with a clothing company. And literally at midnight on the day that NIL was legal for student athletes, she opened the doors of a business, um, uh, for her, uh, for her own clothing line. And she rocked it from day one. Uh, and she grew that into, uh, a line of jewelry that was associated with one of the biggest jewelers in the state of Nebraska, uh, uh, and, uh, um, and had her own line of jewelry and necklaces and earrings and rings and stuff. So, uh, God knows how much money she made on that. I don't know. But the point is, is that the, the idea of translating that into business is going to become, I think, way more common than you might right. expect. Well, and I, I can understand it with a, like a clothing line, right? Because that's something that, you know, other top athletes in professional sports will do. And that kind of ties into the name, Im image, and likeness thing, you know. Yes. Uh, the truck stop thing is a little bit more confusing to me, like how that would still play in. Because sure, you could put up there Caleb Williams truck stop or something, but that's really the extent of it, right? Like, Oh, no. But but no, it's it, could, it would still be a pilot the the point is it's a franchise that has enormous value value that could grow and it would be a business that his family well, say his parents could run right? right and and reap the financial rewards for for years to come right but what that is isn't that outside of the bounds of NIL i guess is my no, question no as long as they as long as they just used him for advertising right if if uh, and then his, his compensation was a percentage of interest in the business. I see. So I'm going to give you 25% of a pilot franchise uh, in exchange for you, uh, you know, um, coming out and playing golf with the uh, pilot franchisees and doing some photo ops and being in the advertising uh, pictures and things like that to motivate people to choose pilot. However they want to play it. That's, that's the problem. It's the Wild West, man. There are no rules. <laughs> yeah, it is the Wild West. That's for sure. Um, I will point out that we called on a previous podcast that because uh, these Harbaugh rumors about the NFL have been going on for a long time here after the season was over. Um, and at the time we called that uh, he's not going to leave because he's got a bunch of uh, you know, returning starters and uh, a schedule this year that's beneficial for him, you know, to Absolutely. reach the Big Ten championship again. Um, so it, it, it didn't really make sense for us for him to leave for the NFL at this time. If he 
does really well this season, wins the Big Ten championship again, and then, you know, maybe makes it farther into the playoff or something, um, then maybe, you know, he's accomplished what he really wanted to do at Michigan and will look more seriously into the NFL because we know he's interested in it. Uh, clearly. Clearly, he's interested in it. And I, I totally agree with you, Alex. I, we did we did predict that, and I, I thought it was just posturing on his part to uh, leverage uh, to get a raise, which he's successfully done. And you're absolutely right that coming back was not a bad thing because of the schedule and the talent that he's going to have this coming season. Uh, one other thing I wanted to bring up because um, I thought it was interesting. Well, two things, actually. One, with what you were saying earlier about uh, – you know, Caleb Williams kind of going onto the portal and shopping himself around, right? Uh, it's all somewhat similar to the guy you mentioned earlier, the Nebraska kid who went into the portal, kind of shopped around, and there wasn't really a opportunity he was interested in, right? And he came back to Nebraska, right? That's kind of the, one of the nice things, right, is that you can enter into the portal, and then if it doesn't work out, you can come back, presuming that your, you know, your school still is open to it, which they probably will be right. Cause they want to have time to replace you or whatever. Um, so I definitely think we'll see more of that kind of the fishing line portal stuff in the future for sure. Uh, I think you're absolutely right. And the more often that it happens and kids are allowed back, right? Like initially coaches were like, screw you. If you, if you turn your back on us, you're done with me. You know, you're not coming back. Okay. And, um, uh, but the first time you kind of break that, uh, you know, resistance and accept someone back into the team because he's valuable to you or whatever. Now, you know, okay. Uh, uh, it won't always work that way, but if I'm good enough, I can do whatever the hell I want. Right. And, <laughs> and Caleb Williams demonstrated that. Right. Well, and, um, with the whole like one time portal rule thing, which you were mentioning earlier, if in a situation like that, where you go into the portal and you come back to the school you're already at, have you used up your one time transfer or is that still available to no. you? No, because you never transfer. Right. See, so yeah, that, that's definitely going to get used a lot, I think. Absolutely. I think so too. Right. Uh, and the second thing I was going to mention is that it's always been a factor in terms of hiring head coaches and assistant coaches and everything that their relationship with players uh, that they've currently been recruiting or that they've been involved with at their current school and things like that have always been factors in uh, you know, hiring processes and things like that. But I think it's even more magnified now, right? Because as we've seen, like uh, with USC getting Lincoln Riley, they've been able to pull so much talent from Oklahoma that followed Lincoln Riley to USC that they were able to do because of the new one-year transfer rules, um, including Caleb Williams, the star quarterback, uh, which is, you know, unheard of to happen in past years. Um, and then even with Nebraska, right, we've got the our new running back coach, Brian Applewhite from TS, TCU, and it seems very likely that this A.J. Allen guy uh, flipping to us is pretty much only because of him coming to Nebraska, right? So we got that recruit basically as almost like a package deal with getting that coach. So I think that's also going to be a factor that will be more magnified going into the future. I would absolutely agree. And, and the, the biggest difference of course, is when you have a, 
a guy like you just described that followed uh, Applewhite to Nebraska, that's a recruit, a, you know, a high school kid coming uh, and switching his commitment. But now with the one-time freebie transfer opportunity that the NCAA has given current athletes at colleges, now you could have more of, of what we witnessed at Oklahoma, where players who were already on Oklahoma's team, not just Caleb Williams, but other players as well, went to Oklahoma or went to USC from Oklahoma. Yeah. That would have historically not done, not happened very often, right? The recruits could do that because they still had not yet fully committed to the other school, right? They, they, they hadn't signed their letter of intent, yeah. but now they can do that. I know we we haven't been talking about the national recruiting rankings as much and everything, but I am curious where Oklahoma falls within that, both in the recruiting and the transfer portal stuff, because their uh, storehouses, as you would put it, really were have been decimated in this offseason. Um, so I wonder how much Brett Venables has been able to recover from that. Well, you know, they, they still recruited well. They have a very good recruiting class, if I remember correctly, I think it it's either uh, it's in the top 10 or real close to the top 10 but they have been regular uh, pre, uh you know uh, occupants of the top 5 role right they have had a top 5 recruiting class Hell, last year they had three five star wide receivers alone that committed to that class or to to Oklahoma so so they had a load of talent well I don't know if any of those five-star wide receivers are still with Oklahoma now. <laughs> I think one of them transferred even while Lincoln was there, and the other two went with him. Right. So I mean, I mean, yeah. But but the bottom line is for Oklahoma, they still got a very good recruiting class, but a little below their their recent standard, and they got decimated on the on the portal departures. Right which the recruiting class will pay dividends in the future, but his right. most immediate concern is the upcoming season. Which I'm hopeful they struggle so that we can beat them. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's what we're hoping for. Um, all right. And then last thing we'll talk about here today is some very interesting uh, discussions that have been having at the Big Ten Conference in terms of adjusting how the divisions work and the games that are played every year and things like that. Um, and this is apparently in response to, you know, some of the talks about playoff expansion and everything and like how do we try to maximize our you know chances to uh, get into the playoff and also um, with the alliance, as we're calling it, which is the partnership between the Big Ten, the ACC and uh, the Big 12. No, Pac-12. Pac I'm sorry, you're right. Pac-12. Um to get more uh, crossover games between those conferences during the regular season. Uh, so the proposal apparently is to go to eight conference games starting potentially in 2023 instead of the current nine conference games. And there would be the, the, the game that is being removed from the conference schedule would be replaced by a cross-conference game with either the Pac-12 or the ACC. And this would involve getting rid of the two current divisions – where it would go to more of a pod system where everyone's in pods of four and the three other teams in your pod, you play every year. And then the other five games are mixed up between the rest of the conference. I would love the pod system. Of course, with 14, that means we're two teams short. So if they're having discussions about the four pods, then that, 
screams that that the Big Ten is shopping for two new teams. That's true. So I, I, I will tell you, when we took on and this whole super conference thing really started to get discussed, uh, when we took on uh, uh, Rutgers and Maryland to go from 12 to 14, it was at that time that I said 14 is a terrible number. We need to go to 16 and go to go to pods. I love the pod concept. I really do. I, I mean, I, I, I'm a, I'm a fan of that going all the way back to the very beginnings of any of this kind of discussion, the idea, but, but back then my thought was we were going to get to premier schools to be, uh, you know, team, uh, 15 and 16. Right. And now how do you do that? How do you get two premier teams without stealing from these Alliance partners? Right. Right. If, if you eliminate the ACC and the PAC 12 as your two sources of potential additions to the big 10, um, what, what big name schools are available to you that would really move the needle for you? Okay. Oklahoma and Texas were two of them. They're now gone. The SEC already took them. Right. So the SEC now is in there. They got their 16. They're going to go to that pod system. They're going to be fine. But what does the big 10 do? Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, and I guess the, I mean, there's always the the floating figure of Notre Dame out there, but that it seems like if they're going to go to any conference, it would be the ACC at this point because they're already so yeah. intertwined with them. They already are an ACC team. They they basically are an ACC team. I mean, they're an ACC team in every sport except for hockey, which ironically they're in the Big Ten, uh, men's hockey, and then. Uh, and then in football, they are um, they are considered an independent, even though they play six ACC teams a year now. And and the only reason they're not fully ACC is because they were unwilling to give up their traditional games with Stanford and USC, you know, and Michigan State, um, right. and Army uh, or uh, Navy. You know, almost every year they play a an academy and I'm missing somebody. There's another every year kind of game that they have traditional game and that they're unwilling to give up. And so that's the only thing that has been the stumbling block of them not being full ACC members. Right. Um, so, um, right. So then, then your options are either picking up somebody from what's left of the big 12 or going to one of the, a uh, group of five conferences and getting one of the top teams from there. And, and, and that, that's a horrible idea uh, to bring uh, a, a group of five team up to the big 10 level. No, the thing you'd have to do is concede that, you know what, our, my, my, I might destroy my Alliance here, but I'm going to, I'm going to go get USC and Washington to AAC uh, uh, affiliated academic institutions that are also big time, uh, you know, sports programs, right. Right. And that have a great deal of history and, and forget about the geography of it. We'll figure that out. Right. Uh, and maybe you don't stop at 16 then, then you go ahead and go to 18 or 20, uh, maybe go to 20 and you have five pods of four. Right. Right. And, and you, you go and try to get Florida state and Miami or, or Clemson and Florida state or something like that. I mean, seriously, if that's what you want, you better you better get on the stick and get some big name. Otherwise, you're going to get a smaller and smaller piece of the television pie. And at the end of the day, 
that is becoming bigger and bigger in importance because there's, you know, you can't squeeze any more blood out of the turnip. And, uh, you know, I sent you that chart today of the, the current pricing for, uh, tickets to the Super Bowl. Do you remember that? Uh, well, you, you did not send me that, but I've heard that the prices are crazy. Oh, I didn't send that to you. Okay. It is. It's ridiculous, but it's indicative of what's happening in professional sports and to a lesser extent, but still very significant in collegiate sports to where, uh, attendance, actual seats, butts in the seats, attendance to these mega stadiums, you know, in football is becoming so stupidly expensive, especially when you enter include, you know, the, the cost for parking and all the other things that go along with a day attending a game that it's pricing people out of it. Right. So that's going to end up leading to these institutions, uh, reducing their focus on that and focusing on other revenue streams like television, right. And, and other ways that they can make money because the butts in the seats ain't going to do it. And they're just going to keep going to with choices that make it more exclusive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, there's definitely something to that. Um, so going back to these changes, the proposed changes, um, there's part of it that I like coming from the Nebraska perspective, because we've talked quite a bit about how the Big Ten went to nine conference games while the SEC stayed at eight, right? And it was a little bit unfair in a certain respect, because, you know, we're still playing kind of a tougher team there in that Big Ten conference schedule while the SEC, meanwhile, is playing another nobody school, usually from the non-conference uh, in their schedule. Um, now, I guess we, we'd be replacing that one team with somebody from one of the Alliance conferences, so it'd still probably be a, a more tough game. Um, but still, I like that idea of like you know getting uh, some more cost conference play during the regular season. You know, I always think that's more interesting. Um, and the fact that if the divisions went away, we would no longer be in uh, the West division, which is generally considered to be the easier division for sure, you know, in terms of the caliber of school that has been there. Uh, but we've also looked at our schedules uh, for Nebraska and the fact that the non, the cross division teams that we've been paired up with consistently year after year have been the Ohio States, the Penn States, the Michigans, you know, and not in a way that we're at like cycles evenly between the teams year in, year off, it's more based off of a money allocation. Whereas this current, the proposed system would be uh, a, you know, proper cycling between the teams. So everybody plays each other on, you know, a two years on, two years off basis or something like that. Um, right. So it would really all come down to like who we ended up in our pod with us, right? Who are, you know, teams that we play every year. Because we have end up of a in a pod with one of the big boys like Ohio State or Michigan, that would kind of hurt for us. Um, but if we could kind of get lucky in that shuffle, then I think it could definitely work out in our favor. I would totally agree with you. And, uh, and, and so I, that's why I, I wouldn't mind a pod system. I really wouldn't. That would be okay with me. I think, uh, in terms of, of, of doing that, because you're right. I, I, I would be hopeful that it would, it would keep away, what they've done to Nebraska since they've been in the conference, which is that we have skewed 
significantly more towards the 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 traditional powers of the opposite division more than any other school in the West. And, and, and as such, we've accumulated more losses because of that, because we came into the league at a time when our football team was already down. And, and so climbing out of that was made more difficult by the fact that we were not getting an equitable um, uh, schedule on a year in year out basis compared to some of the people where we, co- we were competing against within the division. Right. Um, uh, particularly, uh, I would use as an example, Iowa, the, the contrast in the crossover games and the number of times that they have played the, the top three or four of the West division, or I'm excuse me, of the East division, it's significantly different. So the pod system, I think would help that, uh, a good deal. I also agree with you about the eight conference games versus nine, but, uh, but, uh, it's, it's it's notable that you stated um, that the difference is that additional game instead of playing podunk U, which is what the SEC schools have been doing. I mean, you just think about it. When the SEC schools play these four non-conference games, and in, in many cases they play maybe one team that is competitive with them and three almost guaranteed victories. So you know what? In most years, if you're a good team. In the SEC, you're four and zero in your non-conference uh, games. So you only have to win two games in conference to get the six wins and play a bowl game. Okay, which gives you that extra practice, gives you that extra visibility, gives you that opportunity to win your bowl game and build positive momentum for the next season. Nebraska has learned in the last decade how critical that is. Right? How many times were we a game away? Right? right, where we were five, where we where we won five games, or we won four games, but we lost two games against very good football teams uh, at the on the last play or in the last moments, right? Right, and and if we were playing in any other conference where that where we were getting these easier games to get us closer to that magic six wins that the NCA has arbitrarily established for bowl games, um then we would have been going to bowl games and having the chance. How many times do you think if we had been able to play in a bowl game against a lesser team, some, some minor bowl after a, uh, a season of, uh, that we only won five games in, what if we had been able to flip that and make it the six wins or whatever? How many times would we have won? You know what I mean? My, my belief is, as much like this year, we were the, we were the best three and nine football team in the history of college football. Well, four, four and nine. We got four wins. Four and nine. Okay, but you know what I mean. <laughs> right. I mean, it's crazy. It's it's freaking crazy. You know, uh, you watch some of these teams in bowl games, and you're like, oh my god, we would have kicked their ass. Right. Especially in like the smaller bowls, like you say, because they would be yeah. getting you know lesser schools to match with us or whatever. Um, right. Though you know, then it, it, that I forget which year it was, but there was one year where that came up where we did barely qualify for a bowl, and we kind of got a tougher opponent, at like a bit of a better bowl than you would have expected for our record because we're in Nebraska and we're Nebraska. We know, they right. know that our fans travel, right? And so there's right. more interest in us, which is a good thing. But you know, yep. No, I know, but but you, you get my point, though. I think yes, is, yes, is 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 that. That that's the inequality of that whole deal, and 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 I'm not sure doing a pod system and going to eight 
by itself get you on a level playing field with the pussies from the SEC. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, because like we said, if that uh, missing game there is filled by somebody from the Pac-12 or the ACC, um, then, you know, could be playing Oregon or Clemson, you know, in a particular year or whatever. Exactly. Or Washington or and because you know what? If they go into these alliances, the alliances are going to be built around what? Television revenue. Right. And what is what does TV want? They want Nebraska playing UCLA. They they want Michigan playing USC. They don't want Michigan playing Oregon State. Right? Right. Uh, so so again, that's gonna play into it. And those premier matchups are going to end up head to head with the big boys. And that just gives you another chance to play a a team that's equally capable of beating you, right? Um, it's just crazy. So, and and so, you know, that's great. That sounds good, except it only works if the SEC starts playing under that same set of rules. And and it'll be interesting now that they're at 16 teams and they've added Texas and Oklahoma because now it's going to be harder. There have been years when Alabama didn't play that good of a, of a, of a conference schedule because they happen to miss, you know, in their exchange, right. Of the other division, because they had divisions too, where they didn't play Georgia during the regular season. They didn't play Florida, let's say. Right. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden the only teams they're playing are got are, are teams that were really the third or fourth best team, uh, fifth best team in the other division. Well, then those are W's often easy W's. Right. And then they're not playing anybody in a non-conference except for one game. Alabama would always find a way to play one decent team, not a team that's really going to threaten them, that, but one that's got enough reputation that they're not an also-ran. And then, and then they're undefeated and going to the championship team. You know, um, It just drives me crazy. And then this year, you look at how badly the lower half of the SEC did in bowl games. Right. Because a lot of those those teams weren't that good. They weren't very good teams. They had good talent, but but they were in those bowl games because they had a glorified, uh, bloated records because of their easy non-conference schedules. Yeah. And like you say, with Texas, Oklahoma being added in, right, that's two more tough teams being added to the mix. And if they go to some sort of pod system, right, that might kind of change up the dynamics. Um, but if they if they could do all that and then still stick with the whole we're going to play eight conference games and four non-conference games, in which case the general trend is still going to be the same. Correct. Exactly. As, uh, uh, um, uh, because they're not in the alliance. They don't have a commitment to these other premier, you know, top end conferences where they're where You know what I mean? So I, going to eight games but then forcing everyone to play, uh, you know, this pre-scheduled arranged alliance matchup. It's great for fans. We're going to get quality uh, competition and quality games. It's not good for those conferences because they're going to knock each other off and they're not going to do what that, you know, cheap victory game that the SEC has been benefiting from for 10 years. Right. Yeah. And the whole point of the alliance is to try to combat the increased power of the SEC from getting Texas and Oklahoma and right. the fact that they've dominated the playoffs so frequently at everything. 
Right. So the, the alliance needs to be far more about voting as a voting block when it, ha when it comes to NCA rules and regulations and ways to restrict stuff uh, so that rules get imposed uh, that don't allow the SEC to do cheap, easy shit and cheat um, and, and accumulate resources that they can do, um, you know, opposite of us. And then secondly, we need to, we need to allow ourselves to play the lesser teams or force the SEC to play more, more significant teams. And I, I don't know, that's harder to do. You can only control what your division, what your conference does. Right. Right. So the, the easier path is for us to make it easier on ourselves, get those four cheap, easy victories and start beating our chest like the SEC does right. until the SEC recognizes, okay, this is no longer an advantage to us because now the Big Ten's doing it, the ACC's doing it, everybody's playing patsies in their non-conference schedule, so everybody's got four easy victories, and it waters down the sport, but now we're playing on a level playing field. And then maybe uh, you get everybody to the table to say, we don't want this, and you, get, you force everyone to a more equitable schedule situation. Right. That, that's the problem. There is an inequality and we can't force those people to change. Right. And, you know, with the, the crossover game thing, you know, if you like manage to win that crossover game, uh, you know, and the, the, your schedule plays out well or whatever, it adds to your prestige, right? Your strength of schedule and everything. But as we've seen from the college playoff in the past, despite that emphasis on, strength of schedule, you know, even this year, like you said, in a year where Alabama, uh, the SEC, lower half of the SEC wasn't that good, and Alabama struggled against a lot of teams, you know, it wasn't as dominant as they have been in the past. So, you know, right. th their quality of wins wasn't as pretty. But even with that, they were able to squeak into the, the playoff, right? So, uh, yep. you know, the fact that the Big Ten was deeper overall didn't matter. No, it, it, exactly. It, it, it doesn't matter. And, and, and the whole selection, because you got humans choosing things, they cannot overcome a loss, right? The magnitude of a loss is still far greater than strength of schedule. Right. And that's a problem, right? Because if this would, have been, this would have worked out the way Jim Delaney intended it to work out, if the original intent of that selection committee was actually followed because the original intent was they were supposed to value, put higher value on quality wins and winning your conference. Those were two critical things that were supposed to be highly weighted. And yet the results pointed point to me that having a, 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 a spotless record or an only one loss record is way more important than having quality wins. Because if you had two uh, losses, but you had more quality wins, you still aren't getting in. The team with one loss is getting in. Right. So that loss was way bigger deal than, than the quality of the wins. Mm -hmm. And that was the opposite was supposed to what be what was going to happen. Yeah. Because, because if you did that, it would encourage people to increase the quality of their competition, increase the, the competitiveness, and that would enhance the television product. 
because you'd have better matchups. Yeah, it, 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 it kind of reminds me of the comparisons often made between boxing and the UFC and the fighting world, uh, because in boxing, having that zero at the end of your record, you know, the fact that you have zero losses or very few losses is still super critical. Whereas in the UFC, even a lot of these champions have, you know, one, two, three losses, um, but they're treated as, you know, it's not like a crushing blow to your career, right? And you can still come back and win and everything like that. And so uh, I, I was right. thinking of that comparison. Well, exactly. And, and, and there's far more respect to me to be given to a team that challenges themselves with great regularity, with a lot of quality opponents, okay? And, and occasionally finds they fall short because they're beat up, they have a lot of injuries, or they're just not on their best mental game and they lose a game here or there. But yet they're still playing great competitive games every week versus the team that has the spotless record but hasn't played anybody except for one or two teams that were capable of even challenging them, right? right. Which one of those is more impressive in my mind, it's the team that plays. That's just like the Big Ten Conference, you know, in volleyball. You know, we were just talking about volleyball earlier in the podcast. I mean, that the Big Ten is super deep, the best conference, you know, by a significant margin, I think, in terms of this, the quality of volleyball across the, from top to bottom, right? Um, but yet, uh, only one Big Ten team got one of the top four seeds in the tournament, and, and that was barely. They were the fourth seed but they ended up winning the national championship and the team they played was us who was a 10 seed, even though we were the runner up in the, uh, in the conference. Right. Of the big 10. And weren't there, there were two ACC teams, right? In the top four, there were, there were two, there were two ACC teams, uh, the big 12, which literally is Oklahoma, excuse me, is Texas. And then no one else got seven teams in the tournament based on records right and they had because you know they a lot of them had really great records well that's because they're not beating each other up right um, so it's it, it's it's just crazy how that win-loss thing has way too much weight yep yep that's definitely something we can uh dive into further on future podcasts here in the off season <laughs> yes yes um, yep, we'll be coming back to you hopefully sometime next month to uh, discuss what else has been going on in the world of college football. You know, things tend to quiet down here for a bit after signing day and all that. Um, but there's plenty of topics to cover uh, that we haven't d dive in, dove into in as much depth, such as, you know, all the intricacies of NIL and the portal ramifications and things of that nature. Um, so there's to look forward to there really is it well it's it's fascinating and you know truly the the golden age of college sports that i grew up in and my friends uh and my brothers grew up with is gone and so now the question is how do i find the the way that i view this so that i can continue to enjoy the sport that i love so much because so much of these decisions are decisions that i think were wrong and one thing, here's a question that we are going to answer in a future 
podcast. So this is a teaser. I'm going to say, why is it that the NCAA, which makes the rules on, you know, collegiate sports, can't raise their hand and admit they were wrong, that they made a rule change. It has blown up in their face. Raise your hand and acknowledge that you made the mistake and, and aggressively go about reversing it and correcting it. I, I, they just don't ever do that. And, this, and, and throwing this NIL over the wall, huge mistake. It's obvious to anybody who has followed the sport. It's obvious. I predicted it. Most people predicted it. Okay? Uh, it was so easy to see what was going to happen when they did this. And yet, here we are. And I believe the decision was made by a bunch of lawyers who were trying to protect themselves from lawsuits or what they thought might be lawsuits. And they've made a huge mistake. Now, today, are they willing to raise their hand, admit they made a big mistake, and then go in and aggressively change the structure of that so that it can be managed in a way that allows for fair and equitable competition at the collegiate level to continue? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's one of those where the, the genie can't be totally put back in the bottle. No, but but you can definitely control it more, not have it be the wild west. You know, if they put the effort in. Exactly, and 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 that that would require some people with a brain to think about how they're going to do that now that they've let it get to this point. Right. And 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 my point is, I told you this was going to happen. You know, Brian. Clower, who's been on our podcast before, he's told you this was going to happen. It was easy to see it was going to happen. Yep. No, it's true. Yeah, you, you last podcast, you compared it to like the 70s era of college football. Right. I mean, but I'm, I'm saying even going back two years ago when we were first talking about, you know, NIL was not even the term yet, but they were just talking about how they were going to figure out a way to pay kids, you know, um, it would have been way easier now in hindsight for them to have come up with a stipend amount. You know, what they couldn't agree on was how much they were going to give a football player versus how much they were going to give a basketball player versus was there going to be a difference between a quarterback and an offensive lineman and what they got paid. But if they had come up with some way to provide a stipend, then this thing would have been able to be managed and controlled because it still would have been within the structure of the NCAA and the colleges and the, and the conferences. But instead, they threw it over the wall and uh, uh, turned it outside of the structure of the universities and the conferences and the NCAA and just said, you're on your own. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why we have the Wild West. <laughs> that's why we have the Wild West. All right. Well, we'll talk about that more uh, next time here. Uh, for those of you who listen, enjoyed listening to this podcast, you can reach out to us if you email us at huskerpete13 at gmail.com. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts if you search for College Football Throwdown or on Spotify if you prefer that platform. You can give us a rating or a review. Let us know what you think of the podcast. We can read your questions out on the air, things like that. So thank you all out there for listening, and thank you for joining me for this episode, Dad. Until next week, go Big Red. Go Big Red. Go Big Red.